Welcome to the Gary Stein and Stevens Show. I'm Troy Gary, alongside my co-hosts Will Stein and Dave Stevens. Our podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and also the Sideline Sports Network. You can also catch us on YouTube. I'm going to kick it over to Dave to introduce our guest today. Hey guys, I am so excited to be with you guys, and thanks for letting me be a part of this. Uh, our guest today, uh, I, I have to give an introduction, but this guy needs no introduction. He was a 12-year NFL quarterback, played for the Lions. He played for the Bengals. He played for the Ravens. And he even started and played uh, in place of Dan Moreno back in the day for the uh, Miami Dolphins. I'm talking about legendary Scott Mitchell, and uh, he joins us today. Scott Mitchell joining us. And, uh, hey, Scott, thanks for being a part of uh, – the Gary Stein and Stevens show. Thanks for joining us today. Where are you sitting? Scott, are you there? I am. Scott, I, it miss, uh, I don't know. I do now. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. We, I just me? gave you a wonderful introduction about your career and everything. So tell us what you're doing these days and where have you been since football? Oh my goodness, I've, I've been all over the place, but right right now I'm back home in Utah where I grew up. Uh, I do a radio show here uh, in Salt Lake. Uh, it's a, a, a sports radio show every afternoon from 3 to 7 p.m. So it's fun to kind of keep my feet, I guess, in the, in the sports world and really enjoy doing it. Uh, I've got five grown kids. Uh, most of them are married and none of them are in jail. So, so life's pretty good. Well, thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, Troy and, and well, I got to talk about Will. He's a Vikings fan. What are some of your best memories when you played in that old sloppy, ugly Metrodome when you were part of the, the Lions for so long? Uh, my, my memories of the Metrodome, uh, actually I never won in the Metrodome, so I can't say I have any great memories. Uh, it, it was... Uh, is John Tierlink and of course John Randall. Uh, the, it was my first year in, in Detroit, and I I tell you guys, beat up like nobody's business. And later, uh, Henry Thomas was a teammate of mine in Detroit, and then uh, John Randall. Uh, I had him on my podcast, and he, he was telling me about how he made it to the NFL. And John, John Randall was undrafted, and we, we actually were drafted the same year, 1990. And I said, how does a guy who's in the Hall of Fame not get drafted when they have 12 rounds in the draft? And he told me, he said that the only team that was interested in him was Minnesota Vikings, and he had to weigh 10 more pounds than he did at the time. And he, he went to Minnesota to weigh in, and he knew he wasn't at the weight they wanted. So he went to a hardware store. He bought one of those big giant uh, chains with a lock. He wrapped it around his waist and tucked it in his sweat. And he weighed exactly 10 pounds, the 10 pounds he needed. And I said, so you mean to tell me that your Hall of Fame career started because you wrapped a chain <laughs> around your waist? There's a funny story. But I always remember Jandal because he, he never stopped talking. And knew every detail about your life. And he would, he would sit there when you were in the huddle and 
And he's like, where's Springville, Utah? I've never heard of that. And he says, uh, how's your mom do? You know, and he just, he said all these crazy things. And he was such an amazing player, but he talked so much that it actually was funny. And it, it kind of relaxed you in some ways. It, it, it was intended to like, you know, be this psychological thing. And it never, for me, it never actually worked that way. Well, I know Troy wanted to get in and talk to you. You were talking a little bit about weight, and I know Troy wants to hit you up about uh, some amazing parts of your life. Yeah, uh, well, we'll just talk about that. Uh, you were on The Biggest Loser. Um, how did that start uh, process start for you, and um, what was the experience like, and did that help you you know, decide to write the book? Well, it was a, a, a massive accident. I, I wasn't, it wasn't something I certainly wanted to do. And, uh, you know, we, you, you don't want to go out publicly and show people the, the warts of your life or the struggles that you have. And, and it's, uh, it's a hard thing to actually come to terms with. I, I really initially did not want to do it. Uh, I turned, I turned it down. Um, but I, I ultimately just said, you know, you know I need to do this. I want to do this. And the, the biggest loser on the surface is it's just a reality TV uh, show. It's a, it, it, you know, someone wins a prize at the end. And so all you do is you, um, you're, you're trying to compete to lose the most weight. But for me, it, it became very personal. Uh, my dad died from diabetes and complications from diabetes and from just being overweight. And so it was, um, it was not too long after he died. I had some amazing experiences on the show as really incredible experience, uh, just about um, a willingness to be vulnerable. And I, I think, I think if we're going to, if we're going to improve in our lives, if we're going to go anywhere, there has to be this willingness to submit to a process and, and be vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I don't know any more of a way to do that than to go in front of millions of people on a television camera in just a pair of shorts and show everyone your fat body. That was that was uh, extremely humbling. And yet it was uh, a very cathartic experience for me in in the, um, you know, just that willingness to submit to that was was kind of the, the key and the way out. When you play in the NFL, like you, you never show weakness. You're, you're just like, you know, the, you nothing's wrong. You're never hurt. You're never injured. And and you and I grew up in that culture where you just you you every you know you were always okay and and you couldn't couldn't have any any problems, any issues, any any challenges. And it's certainly different, I think, today. But so I, it was hard for me to get past that. You know, I, I'm a tough guy. I'm I'm okay. Everything is fine, and it was it was kind of a beautiful thing to find and discover in my life, and it's been you know it's been wonderful to to kind of move forward from that. Well, we seem to keep having some issues with uh, Will. Uh, let's see if Will is back. Will Stein, are you out there? Uh, you wanted to ask a couple of questions to Scott while we still have you. Sorry about my internet connection, fellas, but once, so obviously being in Detroit and me being a Vikings fan, you have the Pontiac Silverdome that you played in 
and you had the Cooper H. Humphrey Metrodome, how would you compare the environment of those two stadiums? Well, the environment sucked. I mean, uh, for anyone who had to go play in those places, it was brutal. Uh, the, the Detroit was such a hard place to travel to. I mean, you go to the airport in, in Detroit, and you're an hour and a half just to get to the Silver Dome, and it just wasn't an easy place to get to. They were they, they were so so loud, uh, and you know I you know I the thing in Detroit is we practiced in the Silver Dome, and they uh, it was a forced air stadium, so so the ceiling was held up by just air. They just blew air into the into the building, and you'd think okay it's really cold in 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 Michigan in this in the in the winter, and it's you're like well I'm fine because I'm inside, but they blew all the cold air from outside inside. So we're practicing, you know, in, in our winter gear uh, inside in, in Detroit. So it just, it just was a miserable place. Uh, both of those places were extremely loud. The, the surface that existed back then that the, the artificial turf was really should have been outlawed, should be outlawed. Uh, it was about, I don't know, maybe two inches of this like foam outdoor carpet, basically on top of asphalt and, and places like the Metrodome and, and, and the Pontiac Silverdome were, they were just, it, it was horrendous. And it, it just was, it was such a bad surface. Uh, today, it's so much nicer, you know, the synthetic turf surfaces and a lot of indoor stadiums. Uh, now they, they grow grass and, and uh, have grass. I know Allegiant Stadium with the Raiders in Las Vegas is like that. And it's, it's just changed dramatically. Uh, always a really hard place to play in the Metrodome. Very loud uh, when, you know, the crowd was going. Actually, you know what? You guys asked me about my, my best memory there. I actually did win in Minnesota. We actually, I remember throwing a, a fade route to Herman Moore late in the game and we came back and won i think that was 90 1996 and that actually put us in the playoffs that year so sorry for your your vikings losing that day but yeah that was i, I just uh -huh. came back to my mind <laughs> that's funny and uh you know as we look at your great career all the, the teams that you were with and everything uh people don't realize that you know you uh, 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 you know, had to come in and, and basically take over for Dan Marino when he, you know, went down. Uh, tell us what that was like to go in and suddenly replace a, a legend, you know, not expecting to have to jump in and take over for a, a legend that was going to be a future Hall of Famer. Did we lose Scott for a second there? Have we got Scott? Is Scott hearing us? Do I have you? Troy, do you have us? All right, we'll just uh, tap dance for a second here as we lost Scott. And I was just going to tease him a little bit, too, and hopefully he jumps back on for a second. As again, we get the kinks out, but there we go. Scott is back with us. And, Scott, I don't know if you heard the question, but I was wondering, as a rookie, you had to jump in and replace Dan Moreno. If you could kind of take us through what that was like, you know, replacing a future Hall of Famer. So Dan Moreno was a rock star. Uh, when I when I got to Miami, I was drafted. I re, I can remember to this day the moment I saw Marino for the first time, and I was starstruck. I was a fanboy. I mean, this was Dan Marino. I mean, and he was just the coolest guy in the world. He was just he was such a 
an iconic figure. And every day, uh, so I played for the Dolphins for four years. I was drafted there in 1990. Every day, I would I, I was sat in meetings between Don Shula and Dan Marino, and and it was just it was the coolest experience of my life. Just the how how amazing these two individuals were, legendary Hall of Fame types of people. And here I was, this kid from Springville, Utah. Uh, you know, it, sitting in the in the midst of all of this, and it was just it was just quite an experience, and all of the things I learned. And I, you know, I never played. I mean, I was all, you know, Dan always played. I, I think at the time he had, oh, I don't know, a hundred and nineteen starts, you know, without without missing a game. And and my first three in the NFL, I I very rarely played. Uh, we were we were actually uh, in Cleveland the first game I played, and I was I had been in the hospital the night before the game. I got really sick on the airplane going to to Cleveland, and they said there's no way in the world you'll play in the game. And our athletic trainer said, "Well, it doesn't matter because he doesn't play anyway." So uh, they put me in a hotel room by myself. I had this highly contagious form of pink eye, I guess is what they told me. And, uh, and, you know, I'm laying, I'm puking my guts out and all, all night long, I don't sleep. I go to, I go to our pregame meal in the morning and, and the doctor says, how do you feel? And I go, well, I could play in an emergency if I had to, but I, I have no energy. So he told me, go on the field, dress, don't warm up and just stay away from everyone. Well, a quarter and a half into the game, Dan Marino drops back, blows out his Achilles and Shula turns to me and goes, Mitchell, you're in. And this is really the first time I've ever played in an NFL game. We're in the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. I haven't warmed up. I, I didn't throw a single pass. I didn't sweat. I didn't sweat a drop. I didn't stretch a muscle, nothing. And I have to go into an NFL game. And not only go in the game, we're on the eight-yard line going into score. It's third down and uh, it's third down and five from the eight-yard line. They call a pass play. I throw it to Irving Meyer, Ir Irving Fryer. He slips and falls down. And Najee Mustafa intercepts my first pass and returns it for a touchdown. And uh, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just mortified. I'm like, I can't believe, you know, I threw an interception for a touchdown on my first pass. So the next, the next, uh, so we get the ball right back because they just scored. And, uh, and my next pass is actually intercepted and, but, but the guy's out of bounds. And so uh, we find, we run the clock out, go into halftime. Coach Shula is like, Hey, everything's going to be fine. You know, uh, we're going to win this game. And I looked around the locker room and everyone's like, no, it's not going to be fine. This guy's not Dan Marino. And he, you know, he's never played and he was sick and, he, and he's throwing interceptions. So he came out after halftime, and I, I just knew I needed to say something to my teammates. So I, in the huddle, because we, we got the ball uh, first first possession, and I just looked at everyone, and I just said, don't worry about me. Just do your job, and we're going to be just fine. So in the second half, I threw for 250 yards. I had three more touchdowns to our team. So I had four touchdowns on the day, and I was named – AFC Offensive Player of the Week in the first game I played in the NFL. Wow. And what was so strange to me was how easy it was. 
Like, like I, ju- I just, I, I had, I had a moment in that game, and it was, it was like, uh, it was, it was like one of the top five moments of my entire life. And and what happened is I was, I was walking out of the huddle, and I, and I just been on fire, right? I mean, I was just playing so good, and I looked over, and I was facing the Cleveland Browns defense, and I looked at Clay Matthews, who played twenty three years in the NFL. And and he was a great player. And I remember looking at him going, I own Clay Matthews today. And it was in that moment that I, I knew that I belonged in the NFL. And I knew that this dream that I'd had my whole entire life had become a reality. And it was it was just the coolest moment to to know that you're playing with and, and you're one of the best players in in the entire world. Amazing, amazing moment in my life. Well, it, it really was. And I know you've played all over the world, and, and I don't want to monopolize, but I do have to make a comment when we talked about that turf that you guys played on at the uh, in the old uh, Pontiac Silverdome. Augsburg University, where I played college football in Minnesota, bought that crappy old turf, and they put wow. it on our field at, at uh, just right next to the Metrodome, and we had to play on your crappy. I still have scars <laughs> in my elbows and everything like that, so – I'd like to not thank you for that turf, but I know uh, Will and Troy have a couple more questions uh, before we delve in deep. And I just want to let people know, too, thanks again for joining us. And I want people to know about your book. I mean, you have this amazing book called Alive Again. You can get it on Amazon.com or other things. I know you're a motivational speaker, and it just kind of shows the results that you did uh, to make those changes in your life. And, uh, you know, how has that book helped you kind of reflect? And was it like therapy for you? So you kind of broke up there, and I believe you were talking about the book I wrote. And really, it kind of boils down to um, you know, I had, I had this experience when my, when my dad, where, uh, I, I was with him in, in a hospital. I knew he was going to die. Now, like, like I was speechless. I was like, I, I had to say goodbye to my dad and it was, um, I didn't, I didn't have the words and I'd watched it the previous six years, just his body was just ravaged with all kinds of sickness and he'd had amputations and had just some of the most disgusting uh, things happen to him uh, in his, uh, you know, dealing with this, this disease of diabetes. And I just didn't have words and I just, you know, I just couldn't say goodbye and didn't know what to say. And they closed the door to the, and, and when they did, there was a picture of a butterfly on the wall. And when I looked at it, I just was flooded with this, just, I don't know, inspiration or, or, or clarity or understanding. I, I, I don't know, it just came from a place, uh, it's hard to describe, but it, it just was a very spiritual moment for me. And I, I told my dad, I said, you know, dad, you're like this old worn out caterpillar that's going to go in this cocoon for a while and it'll be like you're dead. And I said, but one day you'll, you'll come back to life again and you'll be this amazing, beautiful butterfly. And so all, all this sickness is, will, won't be there anymore. And, and you 
you'll come back to life. And, and I believe that. And I believe that, that uh, you know, death is not. There'll be a resurrection. I believe that we'll, we'll, we'll all live for uh, ultimately. And, and, uh, and, it, and it just gave me this, that it was okay that, that he died. And then after, after that experience and after my dad died, Oh, that's the rigors of live TV of having those uh, times that they pop up. You know, we can find we can find that greatness within ourselves because that's really what happened to the caterpillar, right? And it 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 morphs into this beautiful creature, and it does it with within itself. You know, it doesn't plastic surgery. It doesn't have hill. Uh, it just finds a way to see its greatest potential within what it is, and but the other side of it is, you know, we have these struggles in our life and these challenges and these these hard things that happen, and those are the things that, when we become that beautiful butterfly, we appreciate it so much more. I, I can all all of a sudden it can fly, it can go anywhere, and it's truly a, an amazing miracle of nature. That whole transformation process, and it just it just really struck with me. And so, you know, my, actually, I woke up yesterday morning and I was like, you know, I had an amazing, I've had an amazing life and it's not all been easy. It was, it was, it was hard. Uh, I felt that my NFL career could have been more. And, uh, and it, it, it's hard to see uh, success, some of the, the other players I, I played with in the NFL, you know, that won Super Bowls and Hall of Fame and all that, and they were contemporaries of mine. And, and um, you know, a, a lot in a lot of ways, I felt like my career was a was a disappointment, and it could have been and should have been a whole lot more. And as I look back, I, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for uh, the challenges that I had and I've had in my life, whatever they've been, uh, they truly have been the greatest blessings I've had. The, the hard things, the embarrassing things, the difficult things, quite frankly, have just been such an amazing blessing to me because they've given me uh, a perspective, understanding I don't think I would have gained any other way in my life. And it's taken a long time to get to that point. Uh, when you're When you're a professional athlete and it all ends, it, it's, it is so hard, so hard to make that uh, adjustment and to, to move on and to accept whatever happened. And I, I, think, I think every athlete who, regardless of the level of success they have or the duration of their career, it's just, it's just hard to, to walk away from that and never have that anymore. Okay, uh, 1994, you were a free agent, uh, first time in uh, your career. Can you talk about the process and what ultimately uh, helped you decide to sign with the Detroit Lions? Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it, it boiled down to two teams, the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions. I almost became a Minnesota Viking. I was like like that close. <laughs> uh, and, and really... I, it, I don't know. 
it, it was kind of like both places were the same for me. It was it was an amazing process to because free agency existed and they just the opportunity to to go somewhere. I, I love playing for the Miami Dolphins. I loved I didn't want to leave, quite frankly, but there wasn't an opportunity for me. And and uh, I was behind a great player. And and so to, to be able to go out and become a starting quarterback in the NFL and, and live that dream that I had as a kid was it was just an amazing experience to, to be able to just do that. And, and a lot of people fought for a lot of years for that that ability to have uh, that that freedom, you know, and that, that and so and I was one of the first people to experience that. And and when you know, so it was fun to go. You know, I went to I had five teams that I actually visited. A lot like going to college, and and um, Brian Billick was the was the offensive coordinator for. Uh, the Vikings at the time, Dennis Green had been at Stanford. Uh, I knew a lot of the coaches. Tony Dungy was a defensive coordinator at the time for the Vikings. Really, I, I loved it there in, in a lot of ways. Thought um, I, I, you know, it, it could have been a good fit for me. And, uh, <laughs> and it really, it almost felt like it was a coin toss between Detroit and and uh, minnesota and I, I look back on it now and i i think it was a better fit for me offensively to go to detroit and a lot of things there i can give you kind of a fascinating history lesson here about what what happened in detroit because it's pretty remarkable um we we incorporated so i go to detroit and uh I, I signed a con that's like unheard of, right? At the time, I mean, people are just like, "He got what?" You know, and I can tell you what it was. I got eleven and a half million dollars free years. Uh, so I think it was like three point five million dollars a year was. That, that's what I made. Entire salary cap at that time was thirty-five million dollars that they spent on, you know, and, and now I think it's over $200 million and, you know, uh, an average quarterback in the NFL makes $33 million a year, you know, as much as the, the whole salary cap was. So, but at the time it was just unheard of the, the money. And, and so I go to Detroit and our offensive coordinator is a guy, Tom Moore. And I go to Detroit, and, and and we have Barry Sanders, who was just amazing. But Barry Sanders was not really a quarterback's friend because Barry Sanders would run, and a lot of times he would run out of bounds after running 40 yards back and forth for a two-yard loss. I mean, he, he just wasn't a – he wasn't a – he wasn't a Robert Smith kind of running back. You know, Robert Smith was a more efficient – you know, you're going to get four or five yards, you might get – you know, but he uh, and and Barry Sanders was a small guy, and he wasn't wasn't going to block. You know, he was he was a guy that was like, uh, I'm I, you know, because he, he wasn't big enough. He was he was just kind of a, a littler guy. And they they kind they kind of got to a point. They said, you you really need to make a choice. You brought this guy here. You got to let him throw the ball. And so we I sat down with Tom Moore, and we. Um, we kind of invented or streamlined our offense 
and a lot of it was uh, what I had done with the Miami Dolphins, uh, a lot of the concepts. And so in 1995, we have this amazing year where uh, I throw for 4,400 yards and 33 touchdowns, have two wide receivers that have over 1,000 yards in receiving. Both of them catch over 100 passes. Barry Sanders rushes for 1,500 yards. And we had this explosive offense. And what was sad about it is uh, a year later, they fire Wayne Fonts and off goes Tom Moore. And Tom Moore ends up in um, Indianapolis and basically runs the same offense we're running in Detroit with a guy named Peyton Manning. And uh, and Peyton Manning has this Hall of Fame career with the offense that we predominantly ran in Detroit. And then, in fact, I um, about six months ago, Tom Moore is still in the NFL, and he's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, and they're still running those same concepts. And go all the way back to Johnny Unitas. So the offense that we ran in, in Miami started with Shula when he was with the head coach with the, with the Baltimore Ravens. So you've got an offense that started with Johnny Unitas, Hall of Fame quarterback, goes through Bob Greasy, Hall of Fame quarterback, Dan Marino, Hall of Fame quarterback, and then it, it skips a generation, and then it goes to Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame quarterback, and Tom Brady, Hall of Fame quarterback. So what the heck's wrong with me, right? <laughs> and, and really, had Tom Moore stayed in, in Detroit and we'd run that offense, who knows what it would have happened. And that, that's one of those hard things, you know, you kind of wish was a little, little different in, in your career. But, um, you know, my whole entire career in the NFL was an amazing experience. And, and it would have been amazing if I'd have been in, gone to Minnesota. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the, the, my whole time, really. Um, I played with and against some of the greatest players of all time, had an amazing experience, lived a childhood dream, and did it, you know, for 12 years. And it, it, was, it was pretty special. Cool. So... I want to give you a movie reference. So everybody knows the movie, There's Something of Mary. Uh-huh. It's like, it's there's something about Barry. What was that something about Barry, and how did he make you and the guys around you better? Well, um, as a, as a, as a running back and as a talent, I, I don't know that there's ever really been anyone like Barry Sanders, just, just the way he was physically built. You know, he was this low to the ground, a, a very powerful, you know, runner. And, and he, the best way to describe Barry is I watched some of the best players to ever play football, hall of fame guys, and I watched Barry Sanders make those guys look silly. Like I, I, I can name off, you know, uh, John Lynch, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, had Barry Sanders in the backfield, dead to rights. And, and I don't know that Barry even did anything. He just kind of wiggled a little bit. And John Lynch was like he was frozen. And Barry Sanders just ran right around him and scored, you know, like a 50-yard a touchdown. 
Uh, I saw Barry do it. Uh, same thing to Cornelius Bennett. I saw him do it to Rod Woodson. I just uh, and and they had him dead to rights. I mean, they had him in the backfield. There's no way out. And and Barry Sanders just left them frozen. And he would make cuts. And and he would be going full speed. And when he would cut, you know, a lot of times it, you know, people have to kind of gather themselves a little bit. They slow down and then they speed back up. But he would cut one direction and, and he'd be going the other direction. And it was always full speed. There was a game against the Chicago Bears and it was a, it was a Thanksgiving game. And, and I remember Barry went through the line to the left and he got into the, the secondary and everybody was pursuing him to the left. And he, and he just, he made a cut back to the right. And, and it was like, he froze everyone, the whole entire defense. And he just went to the right against the grain and, and scores a touchdown. His ability to, his, his, you know, his ability to make those cuts at full speed was, uh, was, I, I just never saw anybody do it. And, and you, when you're a part of it every, every day, you know, it becomes normal. Well, that, that's just everyone is. And, and that's part of when you realize how special he was. Other, other guys would go in the game or you'd watch other running backs in the NFL and you'd go, oh, if, if that was Barry Sanders, that would have been a touchdown. And, and he just had a special ability that, you know, no one possessed. And, and part of it, you know, Barry's not a tall guy. So running scrimmage, he's hard to see. It to, and then he's on you and he's by you and he's on and uh, and it just it just made it really really hard so so in some ways his height it may argue was was a deterrent but it part of what helped it great he he was an amazing team uh just very he everyone thought he was really quiet and and he actually wasn't we went to an event oh we were driving in a car and i'm like and I was like, man, I'm going to be stuck in a car with Barry Sanders, who doesn't say anything for like three hours, because uh, that was kind of the perception I think people had of him. And and I, after the three hours, I was like, man, I got to get out of this car. This guy hasn't shut up for like this whole time. And he was just he he was actually a very very engaging guy, very well. You know, he, he's he's a he's a thinker. You know, he's a, but he he was he was an amazing amazing teammate and 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 that was you know quite frankly my whole career you know marina was was just so special i mean every day at practice watching him throw passes just in practice was like watching an artist at work i, I mean uh brett Favre. speaking of something about mary brett Favre was like look you can all say what you want the, the guy who throws the ball the best in the NFL is Dan Marino, hands down, no question asked. He's, he's the purest passer there is in the game. And if you want to argue with me, I'm going to tell you you're crazy. It's there, There's no one like Dan Marino. And it was true. He was just – he was so special. And so playing with him, playing with Barry, uh, I played with um, uh, Ray Lewis and Rod Woodson uh, in, in Baltimore – just some really, really special players. Now, Jonathan Ogden, I mean, he was, Jonathan Ogden, you know, he, 
arguably be greatest tackle in professional football history. I mean, he was an amazing individual, a great player. Okay, I have a question about uh, you went to the University of Utah, uh, for those that don't know. Uh, what do you think about this Pac-12 realignment stuff going on right now? Uh, like I said, US, USC and UCLA leaving to the Big Ten. Uh, it's rumored uh, University of Utah might join the Big 12. What are your thoughts on uh, these super conferences? Well, for 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 Utah, who um, there's a there's a real shot for Utah to be in the college football playoffs this year. They've got a really really good football team. Cam Rising, the quarterback, is it was exceptional last year. Uh, they lost a tough game in the Rose Bowl to Ohio State. He played well. Most of the teams back. They were a very young young team. Uh, Florida the first game of the year in, in Gainesville and that that'll be a big game but but Utah Utah's the best team in the Pac-12 and and that's what's hard is is here here's a team that was kind of a G5 type of team and they go undefeated um they get into the the Fiesta Bowl against Pitt uh and you know the the, uh, the late 90s uh, actually it's the early 2000s uh, so they become a bowl buster, right? They're kind of they get into a New Year's Day game. Then a couple of years later, Alex at Utah and Urban Meyer, and and Utah has uh, again an undefeated season. Plays Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, beats Alabama. So as a group of five team, they do everything they can to become a Power Five school, get invited to the Pac-12. Kind of struggle early on there, and now now they've been to the the championship game three of the last four years and won it last year uh, and go to the Rose Bowl. So here's a program that's that's been on the rise for the last 20 plus years. And they've done everything. They're a really, really good program. They're a top 15 program in the country, should be every single year. And yet the only relevance in the Pac-12 is if, if US, it's really just USC. Like if USC is not in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is dead. And and so for the for USC to leave, and USC hasn't been good. I mean, Lincoln Riley coming is you know finally woke USC up because, um, you know USC just it's just a, an amazing program. And without <laughs> without USC, there is no Pac-12. And it's just like the Big 12. Without Oklahoma and Texas, there is no Big 12. And the reason is because all of college football is run, it's run by by TV. I mean, college football, we, we can all pretend everyone's a part of it. College football is two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. And, and they run everything. And so nothing's really changed in college football in my mind. The powerful teams, the 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 blue blood programs are still the blue blood programs and and they're gonna benefit and they're going to remain the powerful teams in all of college football. And that, that power is just being centralized into a smaller group of people. And it feels to me like uh, the Big Ten and the, and the SEC are, are ultimately going to probably break off and just create their own, their own thing. Now, who all gets invited to that? I, I don't know. But college football is driven by, it's driven by money. Uh, it's driven by the, the TV dictates everything. And it, this move was all about uh, USC and UCLA getting more money. 
the tradition of college football is gone. The Pac-12 had a great tradition. And it's unfortunate for schools like Utah that really they'll never be a powerful program in the country because they, you know, it's just, you know, if Salt Lake had a bigger TV market, uh, it, it, it's just a challenge. And that that's where everything is. It's just, it's, it's, can you create enough value in your TV market to, to justify being uh, a part of the program? And, and, and Utah really is kind of on the border on that. And people are talking about, we'll go to the Big 12. The Big 12 isn't any different. It's not different than the Pac-12 right now with, without these bigger market schools and, and programs. Uh, I, I think Utah at the end of the day will be fine. But C.J. Stroud, who, who is a Southern California kid, um, I think uh, there's, there's a couple of other. They're all Heisman Trophy candidates this year. And, and they're all from Southern California. And, and, and USC was always like they got the best players in the country, and they're not. And C.J. Stroud said, why do I want to play in a half-full stadium when I can go to Ohio State? I can have the success I've had. I can be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I can um, play in front of 89,000 people, and I'm the talk of college football every Saturday. And I go to USC, which is the story. And, you know, I'm an afterthought. I, I'm on after dark. I, there's not the same hype. And, and so USC realizing with all of the, the NIL deals and the money that they need to generate and, and, and the exposure these players are demanding today, they had no choice but to move if they wanted to be and remain relevant in, in college athletics. And, I think UCLA is a is a, is a great brand. I think I think UCLA is more along for the ride. You know, it's kind of like, well, you, okay, you got this little brother here. You know, bring him along. But but the the main get I believe for the Big Ten was USC. Scott, uh, you know, I can kind of associate a little bit of what you went through. I hope you can, if you can see this. Um, I'm going to put it up on the the screen. Uh, you know, during COVID, you know, I don't have legs, but I had ballooned up. And it was really tough for me to try to lose that weight. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I saw what you did. I was inspired by what you did. I dumped 55 pounds. So, you know, with that success that you had, uh, overcoming that, I, I'm just curious as to, uh, you know, what was the lowest point and what got you to the point of where you had that success so you could turn your life around? Um. Sorry here. So for me, oh no. Well, he should jump back in, but this has just been an amazing, just some insight. And uh, oh, here he is back again. That's live TV. Okay, Scott, you started to say for me, so I'll let you continue. Yeah, you broke up. I can't, well, I didn't hear what you said. Okay, uh, just real quick, the, the question was, you know, I, I lost weight. It was tough for me, but I'm wondering what your lowest point was for you and, and how you overcame that to have those successes. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of it was, well, there was, there was a moment for me and I was, at, I, was on, I was on The Biggest Loser 
and and I'd been I'd been on the show for about a month, and I would hike every morning in the Santa Monica Mountains. Uh, in fact, it was right by where they filmed the TV show Mash, and 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 I would hike in those mountains all the time, and and uh, you know, so I had nothing to do. I mean, I was isolated from the world. I was away from my family, uh, and I I just, so every morning I'd get up and I'd hike and I'd think about my life and you know, try to figure out, okay, well, why'd you gain all this weight? And, and, in in about a month being in it, I just, I just stopped one day in the middle of the trail. I sat down on this dusty, dirty trail and I just said, I'm, I'm going to quit. I, I didn't, I, I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to be in this public forum. I don't want to, um, examine my my life uh it's too painful it's not it's not fun and i'm quit. i'm gonna go back to my room i'm gonna pack my bags i'm gonna walk out of here and as i was sitting there on the ground and i couldn't for whatever reason i just started to cry and i couldn't stop crying i was just sobbing and it, and it, and i couldn't even control it it just it just it just came out of me you know it was just i was just like i am just out of here <clears throat> And this voice just came into my head and I don't know where it came from or what it was, but it was just like, just don't quit right now. Uh, just find a way to get up because if you quit, you will live with this and and you'll regret this for the, the rest of your life. And and so I'm, I'm talking to myself and, and this voice, wherever it came from, it just came into my head. I said, you know what? I, I've done this my whole life. I've gotten up and I've, you know, I've never quit and I've just, you know, I've fought through things. I'm done. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I am done. And the voice came back again and said, just find a way to get up one more time. And so I did. And I didn't, I didn't really want to. And the next morning I was laying in my bed, I woke up and I was, you know, I was just kind of, you know, somewhat depressed and just not happy to be there and this just thought came into my mind where all of the things that you've been through um are where you find joy and i and i and it just kind of sunk in for a minute and i was like so um my success in life has been built on a on a mountain of sorrow and and it and it was like well how could that be and what it what happened to me was i realized that to really understand what joy was and what happiness i needed to experience the opposite and all of the things that the challenges i've had the disappointments the struggles i've had in my life what i what i realized in that moment was they'd given me um and brought out in me characteristics and traits that I didn't realize I had. So I had the ability to be patient. I had the ability to persevere. I had the ability to be um, forgiving. And I, I had a greater ability to have compassion. And and I, I, I realized I'd learned all of these amazing things and developed all of these traits I didn't even realize I had. And they all came out of this struggle. 
And, and so in that moment, I just realized what, um, really how much joy there was in my life, because to that point, I really didn't, I didn't really feel a lot of joy. I mean, I had, I had a former teammate, a guy that I invited into my home when I played for the Detroit Lions. I had a guy that I had uh, bought gifts for, really not, you know, really nice gifts. He was an offensive lineman, and he on pub in, in public said that he tried to get me hurt in a game. It was Lomas Brown. And, and when he said this uh, publicly on ESPN, and it was so, it was so devastating to me and, and it was very hurtful. Uh, when I got introduced in Detroit for five years, every time I was introduced before a game, I was booed. And, and I wasn't, a, I, I wasn't, it was just how it was. It was like, it was like I was the starting quarterback for the Detroit Lions, and they hated me. And I can't even begin to tell you how hard that is, like, to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, I couldn't go out in public. I couldn't. And 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 just the 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 ridicule that I got in in my career as a professional athlete, it was it was brutal. And 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 you feel you feel you know what, you feel like, <laughs> you know, it, you suck. And, and I, and I, and I hated it. And, and so, and, and, you know, there's, and I've had other, you know, challenges in my life, whatever, but um, those were some hard things. And then uh, getting benched by Bobby Ross was, was just the worst thing in the, in the world. Um, and, and, and it was all, Later, he actually apologized to me, uh, said he shouldn't have done it. And there's a whole story behind it that I'm not going to get into. But um, so, you know, you have these really humiliating things happen to you in your life. And 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 at the time, they felt they were so painful and they hurt so much. And yet I, I've been able to find the beauty in all of that. And it really is. And, and that was really a moment for me. When, when I realized that my, um, you know, my biggest challenges in life and the things I thought were my biggest disappointments were actually some of the greatest successes I had because I, I, I made it through it. I persevered through it and, uh, and it, it ended up being an, a, just a beautiful, amazing thing for me. But it took, it took a long time. It was not easy. Well, Scott, thank you so much for just you know, letting us in and, and so intimate. I mean, most people don't really, you know, let us into that kind of a world and what you've been through and the successes. But before we let you go, and again, thank you for being with us. Get, you can get your book. And uh, where is that also on Amazon, other places we can get it? <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I, I just, I really, the book is something that I wrote and I, I haven't really promoted it and, um, it, it's it, it it's not it's it, I just wrote it because I wanted to I, I you can find it on I believe Amazon I, I seriously don't it. and I wrote it so long but, you know thank you for for pushing it uh, but it's you know it's not something that I'm if we sell uh, one copy it is available used in hardback and all those good things but before we leave I want to get back on a fun note 
Uh, you had an opportunity to play in the World Football League back in the day, uh, you know, when the league was trying to create almost a minor league or a feeding system. So it's not glamorous like it is now when they go to London and all those places. I'm just wondering, what was that season like for your Orlando and you being in places that aren't meant for football locker rooms? Like, do you have some really weird, bad memories from that experience? Uh, so you kind of broke up a little bit. Were you talking about the World League? Yeah, about what was the lows and the locker okay. rooms and the food. Like, it, it's not glamorous like it is now. So, so the World League um, was the best thing I ever did. And it was, it was one of the most fun times I've ever had in my life playing football. I had to beg the Miami Dolphins uh, to let me go play. They, and, and people were like, no real NFL player goes and plays in the World League. But I, I never got to play because I was behind Dan Marino. And I was like, I want to go and do whatever I can to, to get experience. And so I was with a bunch of guys who just just wanted to go and 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 play football but you, it was it was a humbling experience because you know you it, it, the whole the whole setup is is not like the NFL at all and 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 uh, but the football was really good i mean we pl i played in orlando we had about 45,000 people that showed up i was on national tv every weekend uh, in the spring we played in the World Bowl. It was just, it was, a, it was a great experience, and it was it, to me. I describe it like, you know, you always say, "Boy, if I could go back in life, knowing what I know now, and if I could go back, I'd be so much better." And that's what I felt like. I felt like my my time in the NFL, uh, I'd learned so much, even though I didn't play a lot. And then I went back, and and I and I was, I was just so much of a of a better player. But our, our offense in Orlando, I think every single guy except for our center ended up being a starter on an NFL team. And we had, I mean, we were, we had a really, really good team. It was, it was, it was a great, a great experience. And, and for me, it was, it was really taking one step backwards in my career to go three or four steps, steps forward, because I was just, I was a different player when I came back after that. And that was, right. that was after my second year in the NFL. It was right awesome. in the middle of my career. Awesome stuff. Thanks again, Scott, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, talk with us. And uh, if you ever want to come back on in the future, talk about anything, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I always love to, to come on. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. And again, Will, Croy. This was fun. I'm gonna. I I, I want to keep doing this. You know, you guys are great. This is fun. We got a great guy like Scott that, that joined us, and uh, we got Marty Cordova coming up. I mean, you know. So thank you for letting me be a part of this, guys. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Dan. All it's right. That'll do it for this show this week. Make sure you follow us. Click on likes. Share us. Do all those great things. They're going to help the Gary Stein and Steven show for myself, for Troy and Will. Let's have you guys wave, right? Have a good night, everybody.